I woke this morning with a new name. I had a vision, a dream vision, a vision righteous and true. Before me, I saw gamers, gamers shrouded in the glory of their true names. Step forth and assume your name in the pantheon. It has always been there, your avatar's true name. It slips through your subconscious, reveals itself under your posts, and flash visibly in the moment of unrestrained spite in the indulgent teabag. You've felt it, known it, recognized it. Now realize it. I woke this morning with a new name. That name is Wolf King. Wolf King Awesome Fox. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, February 13th, and today we are headed to Moscow by way of Hong Kong to learn the truth about the true hoo-ha, and we'll do so with his biographer, Edward J. Epstein, the investigative journalist responsible for the recently published book, How America Lost Its Secrets. Edward Snowden, The Man and the Theft, a groundbreaking expose that convincingly challenges the popular image of Edward Snowden as hacker-turned-avenging angel while revealing how vulnerable our national security systems have become, as exciting as any political thriller and far more important. Epstein earned his Ph.D. under James Q. Wilson and Edward Canfield at Harvard and has taught political science at MIT and UCLA. He is the author of many books, including Inquest, The Warren Commission and the Establishment of Truth, News from Nowhere, and Dossier, The Secret History of Armand Hammer, and has written for publications including The New York Review of Books, The Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, and The New Yorker. After details of American government surveillance were published in 2013, Edward Snowden, formerly a subcontracted IT analyst for the NSA, became the center of an international controversy. Was he a hero, traitor, whistleblower, spy? Was his theft legitimized by the nature of the information he exposed? When is it necessary for government transparency to give way to subterfuge? Edward J. Epstein brings a lifetime of journalistic and investigative acumen to bear on these and other questions, delving into both how our secrets were taken and the man who took them. He makes clear that by outsourcing parts of our security apparatus, the government has made classified information far more vulnerable. How Snowden sought employment precisely where he could most easily gain access to the most sensitive classified material and how he claims to have acted to serve his country. Snowden is treated as a prized intelligence asset in Moscow, his new home. Of course, we have a new president now, and there is a report that Snowden is being offered as a gift. More information about Epstein and his work can be found at his web website, edwardjepstein.com. It really is an honor to be hosting today. Welcome, Edward. How are you doing? Fine. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, you summarized my book as well as anyone could do. Even I can't do better. <laughs> Wonderful. But so let's let's. Um, I will just start with my own impression, my naive media narrative impression, and I thought Snowden was a whistleblowing hero until I started into your book, and your book kind of revealed. It's it's interesting when we are exposed to a world that we don't 
necessarily have uh, a look into and it just kind of lays it all bare and you realize that maybe things are not what they seem. Who is the true hoo-ha and why do you find that maybe Snowden wasn't what he said he was? Well, it's a conceit of journalism and maybe of human nature to assume that a person is the same person that he began as or as he was yesterday. We change. Snowden probably began, in fact, I believe him, that he began as a whistleblower. He was angry at the NSA. He was uh, angry at its surveillance. He uh, was a privacy uh, advocate. He was a libertarian, all the things he says he was, okay? But that doesn't mean that a few minutes later, an act like stealing the largest number of communications intelligence secrets in history won't cause you to change your role very quickly. And so taking these documents and going to Hong Kong, fleeing the jurisdiction of America, changed him. He now basically had to worry about being arrested, as he told reporters, being taken to Guantanamo was his fear. And with these fears, he became a fugitive, a second role, and a fugitive acts different than a whistleblower. Whistleblower like Dan Ellsberg goes to court, he fights, he gets the ACLU behind him or whoever, whatever organization, and he becomes um, a hero. A fugitive has to assume different identities and make deals to get out. By the time he got to Moscow, or soon afterwards, I, I wouldn't be able to say precisely when, he became an espionage source for Russia. And once you become in that role, you again change. So he was all of those, those things. You have a relationship with Oliver Stone, and you both were kind of working on your Snowden documentaries about the same time. I'm curious if you've seen his film. Yes. I greatly respect Oliver Stone as a filmmaker. I disagree often with the uh, films he does. I mean, not his films in terms of their art or quality, but in terms of his thesis. But I disagree with most people, so that's nothing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I did see his movie Snowden. In the Q&A after Snowden, uh, Stone says this is a work of fiction. And of course it's a work of fiction. We know that because we have a documentary, an excellent documentary by Laura Poitras called Citizen Four, which won the Oscar for the best documentary of uh, 2014. So, you know, we have a documentary. And Stone reenacted for his movie. He put actors in. The documentary has the real people. And so you can, and it's online, the documentary, I think. And so you could look at the documentary and then see that he's inserted scenes that Laura Poitras doesn't have in her documentary, like a scene of Snowden uh, destroying his uh, files on his computer. Now, you'd be sure that if he did that before Laura Poitras' camera, it would be in her documentary. So what the works of fiction are always is you start out with a true story somewhere in your mind. And, and Oliver Stone does a lot of research, okay? So I tell the true story, and then you blend it with your own imagination, your own theories of what happened. Uh, you know, no different than writing a novel. 
or, or any, um, or in some cases, your own autobiography. So basically, uh, I admire what Stone did, but the story he presents is not the story of Snowden. And that's kind of my impression, too. So as I was reading your book and learning things about Snowden, there were things that kind of gave me uh, cognitive dissonance. Or So in, in terms of if, if you were writing a novel and you said your main character didn't have a high school diploma or you know just these little things, all of a sudden I start doubting the veracity of him as as the protagonist in this in the story. Doug, he's more than the protagonist. He did two things. He stole a large number of secrets of, that included the sources and methods of the NSA, which did immense damage. That's w one thing he did. The second thing he did is he didn't go straight to Moscow. He made a pit stop in Hong Kong where he supplied a hand-picked group of journalists, a narrative explaining who he was, and actually did a, a documentary, which became what I mentioned before, the uh, prize-winning Citizen Four. So he supplied his own narrative. Now, the problem with that narrative is he has lied consistently. So we have we're supposed to believe, and and the media accepted his narrative, which I think is a scandal, because he began by telling Laura Poitras in his first emails, he said to her and to Glenn Greenwald and, and everyone else who read these um, emails, he said, I'm a government employee and a senior member of the uh, intelligence community. Every word of that is a lie. He wasn't a government employee. He worked for Dell Secure Works, an outside contractor. And the government had no power over him other than, you know, Dell did, but they didn't. And he wasn't a senior member or even a member of the intelligence community. The intelligence community is made up of 17 intelligence services, none of which he belonged to. So he starts off lying to them. He tells them lies in Hong Kong, such as he stayed in this hotel for 11 days while he was waiting for them. And when I checked the hotel records, I saw he actually um, checked in just a day before. We don't know where he was during those 11 days. He then, um, once he gets to Moscow, continues to tell them a story while he's under the protection of the Russian government. And the story essentially is, I destroyed everything except what I gave to journalists. And we know that is untrue because documents kept emerging after he went to Moscow, such as the very famous one that exposed the NSA's uh, interest or actual uh, bugging of Angela Merkel's cell phone. So what I think is a scandal is that we accepted a single source, we being the media, uh, of Snowden's activities rather than actually looking at what he did. One of the conclusions that I end up drawing from your book, and your book doesn't necessarily take a firm position, it asks lots of questions to try and un uncover what exactly his role was and what he's doing and how he had access, but the conclusion is that either the intelligence agency is somewhat bumbling and he was able to sneak through various cracks that developed because of the way the technology evolved, 
or that there was some intention behind these different moves that he was making as he was moving from job to job as a, a contractor for the, the intelligence community? Well, I think that certainly there is a vulnerability which has not been addressed even after Snowden in the uh, most secret parts, the inner sanctums of American intelligence. Communications intelligence, which is the intercepting of the uh, electronic and telephone messages and internet messages, is the queen on the chessboard. It supplies all the other American intelligence services with the information they need to verify and to fill in gaps. So it's not the, it's far above what the CIA does or what um, the Defense Intelligence Agency does or the other intelligence agencies. No one has ever stolen documents that expose the sources and methods of the NSA, at least not uh, in the last 50 years, okay? So Snowden is unique. Once he stole these documents and took them out of the country, or even just took them out of the NSA, and I'll get to a moment how he took them out of the NSA, those documents were compromised because even if he had burnt them, thrown them in the ocean, or if he'd given them to the Russians or the Chinese, it didn't matter to American intelligence. All the sources in them had to be considered compromised. They all had to be rolled up. They had to be closed down. So the NSA and American intelligence lost a large portion of its ability to see into Russia and China and Iran and North Korea. And that situation persisted for years through the Ukraine and everything else. So the damage is one thing. But what he, the good he did was he exposed that the NSA is vulnerable to people stealing its secrets. The reason it's vulnerable is it has privatized itself. It has outsourced its secret work uh, to computer technicians, to IT people who are recruited by outside contractors. Now, this is done normally in the American economy. General Motors might get someone, an outside contractor, to supply technicians to do its back office work or Ford or any company. The difference is the NSA deals in secrets. So how can you segregate your secret work if you're having outside contractors, many from the hacking culture, many who you can't really vet? Uh, I'm surprised that Snowden is the only one, and I think others will follow him. Now, how he did it uh, involves both the sloppiness of the security procedures of the NSA, the sloppiness of the outside contractor who he worked for, his own ingenuity, and how he did it still baffles everyone because he did not have access to the secret compartments from which he stole the information. So he had to get someone else's password. Maybe unwittingly they gave it to him, which is an indication of the sloppiness. He also had to, where he worked, they did not have what they call thick computers, that is computers with ports or with storage capabilities. So he had to somehow transfer the information from where he was working, which was called the Cryptological Center, 10 miles away to where his old workstation was, where he had formerly worked, where he actually had a computer with uh, ports so he could take out some drives. 
He had to drive. It was a 20-minute drive. How he did this um, is still slowly coming out of the FBI. And if Snowden ever comes to trial, maybe we'll find details. But how he did this baffles everyone, okay, including me. And when you say I raise more questions than answers, it's true, because I don't have answers to many of these questions. Did he steal the documents in, in Hawaii? Is that where it was? Yes. What happened is uh, Snowden uh, basically got forced out of the CIA where he had been a communications officer, a technical support officer, called TSO. And he then got, got a job, amazingly enough, for uh, Dell uh, Secure Works. And he went to work in Japan, you know, in 2009, and he worked for them. And um, for three years, more or less, went to Hawaii, working on the backup system, all, all technical work, a system administrator, you know, it's like a repairman in a cable television uh, service. <clears throat> then in March uh, 2013, which is just a few months before the theft, he transferred from Dell to Booz Allen. Now, the difference was incredible because Booz Allen was one of the most oldest and trusted outside contractors who was a, had a contract to work on material at a different place, the Cryptological Center, which contains sources and methods, which is the whole ball game. You know, you can steal documents, but they're not sources and methods, and it doesn't do the other person very good. If they say exactly how they're doing it and where they're doing it, it does a lot of good. So he purposely changed jobs to get at sources and methods. How do we know that? Snowden, in, after he stole the documents, he went to Hong Kong, he gave an interview to the South China Morning Post in which he said he changed jobs for one reason and even took a pay cut. He said he changed jobs so he could get access to the lists of computers around the world which the NSA was penetrating. So he basically was a self-generated mole. He basically changed jobs. Uh, he wasn't a whistleblower at this point. He was basically acting to get information. It's not like a whistleblower where the information comes across your desk. He was burrowing into a – he found that one of the contractors had this contract. He joined them. He started working there uh, in the second week of April, and immediately – he began to try to get in access to these secret compartments. And by um, mid-April, he succeeded. And by, mid, uh, by May 18th, he had stolen the documents. So this all happened in a very short period of time in Hawaii, in the island of Oahu, at um, this sprawling base. The secret compartments are important, too, because I think... Not one person has access to all of them, so he needed to get the access to various passwords to to steal the methods and sources from a handful of people. Is that correct? That is true. Um, the NSA basically uh, has a lot of data that it has to circulate to other agencies, um, to the CIA or to even British intelligence. So it extracts the sources and methods from them so it can send these documents to another uh, spy agency. And that's called level one and level two. Level three 
which very few people have access to, is kept in uh, data storage-based uh, computers, which aren't connected to the network. So no one can br hack into them because they're not on network, okay? They're air-gapped, as computer culture says. So Snowden basically had to get passwords to them, which in the lingo of the NSA means being read into. But he only started, uh, you know, in the second week of April, he was a trainee and he didn't have passwords. So he could go up to someone who had it and said, look, I need the password. Believe it or not, they're not supposed to, but they might very well. He's a nice looking kid. I'll give him the password. I don't know. You know, this is what the FBI has been investigating for three years. Did these people, was it just that sloppy? Or did he trick them by looking over their shoulder and getting their password or some electronic means to that extent? But yes, he had this, and he had to work fast. It was like a Mission Impossible thriller because he already told these journalists that he was going to have the material for them uh, by early May. He said in, in four or five weeks when he spoke to them in, in March. So uh, he was working against the clock. It was amazing. And then didn't he cheat? Like he hacked into some computer to get the tests to get this job, or was that a different job? No. Snowden has been basically trying to hack into computers as long as there's a record of his activities. When he was at the CIA and he was worried about his um, approval, his um, rating, his, his evaluation, it's called, he tr was accused of hacking into the CIA computer. Now, that computer he, had he was authorized to use, but it, it, he was trying to plan something there. Then they found, that was 2009, by the way, and that's what forced him out of the CIA. Then three years later, 2012, July 2012, he wanted to work for the NSA. Maybe he was trying then to get access to these sources of methods. I don't know, but he wanted to work for the NSA in a high-level job. So he hacked in, stole the examination, the NSA examination, and the answers, of course, and then he aced the test. He got the highest score possible because he had stolen the answers. And uh, the NSA did offer him a job, but it was a, a low-level job, lower level than he had, and it wouldn't have given him the access he needed, so he turned it down. And um, three months later, well, let's just see, maybe five months later, uh, from, well, in any case, this was September, and in March, he uh, tried to get the job and succeeded in getting the job in Booz Allen, which gave him that access to sources and methods. Oliver Stone kind of paints him as this Svengali or wonderkind, you know, just someone who's really the brightest guy in the in the room. For your book, you look back at all his um, his social media posts and all his gaming. So there's the Ars Technica website, and he's he's talking about his opinions in terms of politics and also in gaming and various things and aliases. And I'm just wondering if you drew the same conclusion that Oliver Stone did about his intelligence. Well, I don't know, you know, about intelligence. You can be extremely intelligent, but lack the uh, social skills that allow you to uh, succeed in high school. So you drop out of high school. You know, that doesn't mean that you're stupid because you drop out of of school, it, it means that somehow 
you can't, you might think you're smarter than your teachers, you know, which is a, another uh, quality that he showed throughout his career, always think he was smarter than the people above him. So there are many reasons. Um, uh, you know, he could be extremely articulate. When I ride around in the New York subways and homeless people get up, I'm amazed at how articulate they are. But Snowden was, is articulate, you could hear when he speaks. There's no doubt about that. And uh, he could also, you know, be like Rain Man. Uh, you know, his brain can function very well when it comes to analyzing computer data. So, I, you know, I, I think the, you know, I sort of agree with Stone that he, I wouldn't call him a wonder con, but I would say that he, he, he knew what he was doing when it came to computers, but that wasn't the issue. You know, I spoke... I went to Moscow, and I spoke to um, six former KGB officers who handled high-level cases, all of which I discuss in the book. I, I, that whole section is first person. But these cases, I asked them, you know, there were cases like Aldrich Ames, Robert Hansen, you know, the most famous people that were recruited. And they said, you know, one, they said that basically what they look for is someone who thinks he's smarter than the people he's working for, and the people he's working for don't appreciate his intelligence. He said, it's, you know, in Le Carre, which they all read, by the way, you know, where people are compromised in operations, he said, all that happens. But what really happens is they find someone who basically thinks he is unappreciated where he works. Uh, it's the same skills, by the way, of headhunters in the private world. They look for a a lawyer at a law firm who feels he's unappreciated and smarter. And Snowden felt that way. Snowden felt very strongly that he could do better, and he did do better. He was working in um, May 2013 in a dead-end job on a two-year contract with no future, and no one knew his name. Okay, He was a blank, a cipher. He is now one of the most famous people in the world, which is why we're talking about him. He is now has a global platform that they give him in Moscow. He, his Twitter account is followed by uh, five, six million people. So he succeeded in basically transforming himself from a no one to a someone. And I think that was his motive. The fame aspect, not not money or not the actual heroic deed to help the American people from the uh, domestic spying? Well, I think money is incidental in this uh, new age computer culture. I mean, it comes because you're successful. I think um, he did nothing. If he wanted to help America, okay, he could have taken the two documents, which were whistleblowing document, one revealing that the NSA was collecting billing records from Verizon and telephone companies in America. The other, uh, which was called PRISM, uh, showed that there was um, domestic surveillance the NSA was doing on the Internet. Uh, okay? He could have taken those two documents, which he did, and he could have uh, put them in a PDF file and sent them to Laura Poitras or Glenn Greenwald or Washington Post or whatever he wanted, and he would have achieved that purpose of whistleblowing. The real question is, why did he steal 1.5 million documents? 900,000 of them were Pentagon documents, had nothing to do with whistleblowing. If he had taken only those two documents, I might say he was a hero. 
But, you know, I think he took those documents to cover what else he was doing. So I do not think his motive was to help America. And then you also raised the question, why, why would Russia, out of the kindness of their heart, take him in? Well, we know a lot about the Russian operation, and, you know, we learn more all the time. Putin himself revealed everything in a uh, press conference he gave uh, in September 2013, which is a few months after uh, Snowden arrived there. He, started, he said in a press conference, I'm going to tell you something I've never said before. Now, when you start a conversation like that, it means you're about to reveal uh, something that's very important, especially if you're the president of Russia. Putin then went on to say that Snowden met with Russian diplomats in Hong Kong before he authorized him to be brought to Russia. He says that they reported to him, these Russian diplomats, or whatever they are, and he then, uh, obviously based on what they said, said, bring them to Russia. And they've supported his, his flight to Russia. WikiLeaks, which U.S. intelligence now alleges is used as a tool by Russian intelligence, that's all came out of the Democratic hack. WikiLeaks sent, Julian Assange sent his deputy, Sarah Harrison, to Moscow to pay whatever expenses he had and escort him to Moscow, which he did. Uh, Aerofloat, even though he did not have a valid passport or visa to go to Russia, let him on the airplane for a direct flight to Moscow. And there was a special operation to take him off the plane. So, you know, it would be the height of naivety to assume that Putin was working out of altruistic motives. He wanted the information Snowden had, or he wanted to know what possible information Snowden had, because Snowden had made statements in Hong Kong, like the one I mentioned, that he had access to the lists of computers that the NSA hacked into. Even if he didn't have them on paper, if he had them in his brain, uh, the Russians would like to take every neuron out of his brain until they found those. Uh, I'm speaking metaphorically now. So, yes, so Russia, they gave him an apartment, they gave him a broadcasting studio, so he'd send his tweets. Um, he's a Russian-supported operation. Towards the end of your book, you mentioned some, oh, Democrats on the Intelligence Committee, maybe it is, where they're bemoaning the loss of a program that has succeeded in preemptively stopping terrorist attacks. What, what program was that, that yeah. Snowden revealed? Well, let me say just something about the House Intelligence uh, Committee. It's the oversight committee for the entire intelligence community, along with the Senate uh, Oversight Committee. Okay? These committees, unlike the realm of journalism, and I'm part of the realm of journalism, unlike the realm of journalism, these members of the committee have access to the secret reports of the NSA, the CIA, and the FBI. So they've been working for 25 months reading material that we can't read. They've come to the following conclusions. One, Snowden is a serial liar, fabricator, and exaggerator, which is very important because he supplied uh, the narrative. 
Secondly, that he removed, not just touched, not selected, not copied, but removed 1.5 million documents. Okay? They also basically came to the conclusion that he basically compromised the war on terrorism, which comes to your question. The NSA was doing something no one knew they were doing. They were intercepting the Internet before it became encrypted. There were fiber optic cables on which uh, messages are carried to, say, Facebook or Microsoft or different uh, Internet companies. And on these fiber optic cables, the messages aren't encrypted, and then they're encrypted by the, uh, these companies. So in this brief space, if you intercept the messages, you see them in unencrypted form. NSA was intercepting messages between Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, and other dangerous areas. And they had about three to 4,000 targets, including bomb makers in Pakistan, from Al-Qaeda, I should say, who were communicating with some people in America. Now, they were pretty stupid because they thought they didn't have to encrypt their messages because they thought uh, Xbox or Facebook would en or uh, any of the telephone apps would encrypt them for them. But the, the NSA found a way around that. It was a workaround. Okay, so the NSA, for example, found out about a plot to blow up Grand Central Station and Penn Station in 2009 through this program. And the Democrats on the committee, including... Uh, Diane Feinstein, who was on the Senate committee, uh, you know, uh, they attribute the blocking of these plots to the terrorists and the bomb makers not knowing that their messages could be intercepted. What Snowden did was blow the whole program. I don't think this had anything to do with Russia or anyone else. I think he did this just uh, for his own uh, amusement because he went to Hong Kong and he revealed everything. And after that, um, the bomb makers and everyone else began using end-to-end -end encryption, which is why uh, no one knew about the massacre in Paris, because as the Paris uh, uh, solicited, uh, or the, probably the investigator, the prosecutor said, that they were using end-to-end -end encryption. So basically, Snowden, uh, for reasons of his own, and I can't guess why, he basically had the world move from depending on Internet companies to encrypt their messages to encrypting them themselves. And that basically ended a large part of the war on terrorism. So it takes a while to write a book. And, you know, it, even though it seems like throughout you're, you're updating with the most relevant stuff that you can before you went to publication, I'm just wondering what questions do you have now? in this new world that we find ourselves with a, with a new president? Sure. Well, first of all, um, there was a recent arrest this summer of a guy called um, uh, Thomas Martin, who had worked for the same company, Booz Allen, and, and he had stolen a great deal of uh, NSA material. And so the question rose in my mind, did the NSA do anything to remedy this situation that Snowden had pointed to. Okay, so we have that. We have basically, with um, the relations with Russia and the United States now, there's no chance that Snowden would get a pardon. By the way, the, 
you know, I, I had great faith that Obama is a serious man and he wouldn't give a, a pardon. You remember, Snowden hasn't been convicted of anything. He hasn't even been indicted. He's been living uh, a life of luxury in Russia. Why should a president give him a pardon? But he's certainly not going to get a pardon with President Trump because President Trump has stated uh, very dire things about him. And the head of the CIA, the new head of the CIA, Mike Pompeo, has also said, you know, terrible things that, that he should be executed. Well, I don't believe that, and I don't believe he should face any sort of... But the trial, I think, is necessary because the public needs to know we can't just accept the narrative of Snowden, or for that matter, my narrative. You, we, what a trial does is basically test evidence with cross-examination and things like that. So I think that um, it would be a good thing... Uh, I don't believe that Putin is going to make a gift of um, Snowden to Trump. I think that's just, uh, well, Putin himself says it's utter nonsense to his spokesman. And the lawyer for Snowden, who I spoke to, Kucherina, has said that it's uh, a pure uh, invention. No one is going to give Snowden up. I hope they do give Snowden up, but I, I don't believe it. But I think that the resolution of this case is going to depend on a trial at some point. What about some of the things that arose that don't have anything to do with them, but that are just curiosities curiosities to me, like uh, uh, the the Russian hack, and then the Trump dossier, um, and then the the mid election announcement, the reinvestigation of Hillary by James. Comey, do you have any thoughts on any of those things? Well, I do. I do have the following uh, thought: the damage done to our intelligence, and there was no doubt that the, whether the Russians got every document Snowden had or none, the NSA had to close down a large part of a system that it had built for many, many generations. Uh, of codes and code breaking, all was destroyed. And um, because of that, if the United States loses capacity, then its adversaries gain. It's, I guess, the, if the mouse, if the cat's away, the mice will play. And it would be as if a shop at a shopping center suddenly all the security measures were short circuited. Shoplifters would have a field day. So I think the aggressive Russian hacking that we have seen, and it didn't start in the election, but we saw it in the election because it became notable. I think it has been going on since 2014. And um, the missing, as the NSA did, of the uh, preparations for the Ukraine uh, invasion by Russia all have to do with the damage done to the NSA and even the demoralization of U.S. intelligence by Snowden. That said... I think if we're talking about the election, I think that Hillary Clinton lost the election. I don't think Donald Trump won it. I don't think anyone intervened on his behalf. Yes, certainly the James Comey statement hurt her. Uh, leaks might have hurt her. But I think it was a question of campaigning in the wrong states. So she got the votes in the states she didn't need them as opposed to, uh, you know, a a couple hundred thousand in a few states that she did need him. I think it was a badly run campaign. And I, I, you know, I can't say my book explains anything about the 2016 election. It doesn't. 
well, so we're running, we're quickly running out of time. I'm just curious, what's what's fascinating you these days, and are you working on a new book? Well, let me just say one thing that fascinates me is the journalists that rushed out to embrace uh, the conclusions of the American intelligence community that Russia hacked into the uh, election. For some reason, reject the same intelligence community when it comes to the conclusion, as it has, and as reported in the House report, that Snowden has been in contact and continues to be in contact with Russian intelligence uh, after he arrived in Moscow. Now, <clears throat> what interests me is how the bifurcation of the journalistic mind. If they like a story, they accept American intelligence. If they don't like a story, they reject it. And I believe the reason they don't like the Snowden story that American intelligence tells is because it goes against a story that Snowden established in their mind, and Snowden became the poster boy, their poster boy for whistleblowing. Uh, right now, uh, all I'm doing is writing uh, a book called The Memoirs of a Forgetful Man, which is a story of some of my investigations. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for your very intelligent uh, questions and your uh, intelligent reading of my book. Thank you. You've been listening to Edward J. Epstein, author of How America Lost Its Secrets. Be sure to check out his work and his website at edwardjepstein.com. For more information about the Sync Book, our guests, to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a Sync Book Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio, and video as well as seasonal online hangouts with hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much, and truth is coming, and it cannot be stopped. in your head.